also like if we were just sitting here on the sofa and not doing a podcast, what would we do tonight instead? Oh, watch TV and then go to bed early. (laughs) You know, what is it about vacation that makes it so hard to sleep? You definitely sleep a lot on vacation. That could be argued the majority of what you do on a vacation. And yet, you come back and all you can think about is, boy, I did not get enough rest. Yeah. I, um... I, I I contribute part of it to the, our terrible, terrible mattress that we slept on. It's I not felt a like terrible I, mattress. I felt like I was sleeping on a box. UK, well, you think it's a box. I think our bed is like a slowly moving pit of quicksand as I sink into your frame as you move throughout the night. I don't get any side of that bed. I roll. I See, I keep telling you, I, I need to start just over the halfway point because whenever i roll you come with me so that way by the end or by the next morning i'll be closer to quote-unquote the middle for me and by that logic you could fall asleep in the chair beside the bed and i would wake up curled on top of the headrest (laughs) No, not yes. even close. That's a lo- you presented me the logic that if I follow you in my sleep, wherever you go, you could go sleep outside on the lawn and I would wake up in a deck chair. So welcome to Married to the Idea. <laughs> He's Aaron. She's Elizabeth. And we talk about stuff. Wow, this is going to be... We're really starting season two off with a bang. I'm excited for season two because there is literally a break from season one to season two. It wasn't this arbitrary and we decided now to get really good at this. It was... Yeah, like talk blindly. Hey, it's a new year. (laughs) We can say with total confidence that this is the first episode of a new season because it's a new year. So are we going the uh, the British route and saying uh, the year starts at the uh, the January? Or that we won't get this podcast in the Americas until one year later? No, we're uh, not doing it that way. I don't mean Sherlock. <laughs> no, we're not doing it that way. Uh, we're doing it in a way that gives us more freedom, I think. More flexibility, more fun. Anything with an F, I think. Hmm. Oh, Aaron. Dirty thoughts. You only think that because you're married. <laughs> uh, so if you haven't listened to the season one, welcome. And uh, no, actually, I was going to say that you're missing out. But no, it's going to get only better. You know, even if you didn't like season one, I feel we're really going to change your mind in season two. Who knows what tricks we have? Well, I mean, first off, we 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 have this. Um, I mean, we had it for the last one, but we have this new uh, mic that we have a lot less problems with. Yes, please comment below on how wonderful the sound is now, and or how you uh, hate the new sound and wish the old sound was back because the pops and crackles really make the whole thing come alive, like vinyl records. <laughs> yeah, you got to be hesitant. Season one was better. It's before they were stuck up and. You know that there's not a single way that podcasting could exist in the age of vinyl. No one would buy a vinyl of someone's thoughts. Uh, I feel like there were things like that. They were just presented in different ways. If you say so, I just I'm imagining going to a record store. There's the music by the well-known artist, by the lesser-known artist, and then there's 
the podcast section, which is just some of them are small 45s, some of them are singles, some of them are whole records, but on it there's just this little description of six points they maybe hit throughout the entire episode. Listeners, Al Michaels talks about the politics. <laughs> the politics. <laughs> Nothing else, just horses. The... Ooh. The new automobile. I say this does sound daring. And a new and a craze that all the kids are doing called the Charleston. I don't know if I can afford a nickel on this. I don't know. I may have to pass it along. What about a Nickelodeon? Oh, Aaron, I thought that since it's 2018, season two, and since we have never talked about ourselves before, that maybe never ever we could start with something about ourselves that our listeners may not know. Uh, in what way? Oh, uh, like just something that, you know, humanizes us to our audience. That we're not just a bunch of liberal elites in our high towers, smoking close cigarettes and debating philosophy. I mean, speak for yourself, Snowflake. <laughs> um, I, uh, I have decided my new, uh, lifelong passion is to open a craft brewery. And... Not a craft brewery like you think a craft brewery, like a craft brewery where you go in and there's beer, but all of the coasters are homemade because people bring their glue guns and their glitters and their pom-poms and they just go nuts so while we're there. an arts and craft brewery. <gasps> You did it, Aaron. You've come up with the very specific brand. Uh, this is the idea that's going to change the world, I think, where you go in and you're just having this, you know, artisanal cider that was made by Trappist monks, but you're also <laughs> making an exquisite birdhouse. And at the end of your stay there, you have this great thing to take home with you besides a hangover. <laughs> Well, truth be told, I uh, have been wanting uh, someplace like or some sort of uh, class or setup in the way that like where you can go to Home Depot when you're a kid and you would build a little to toolbox or a birdhouse or um, uh, I think one of one time was like a. Um, uh, a bird or like something just made out of wood so there should be classes well and i'm sure there are like i know there's like you know learning annexes and stuff like that but and and we actually knoxville does have something now called uh, knox makers or knox maker um knox maker mm -hmm. works or whatever mm -hmm. it's called yeah we could have like adult classes we learn how to build your you know uh hanging hummingbird feeders and then kid classes we learn how to brew their own beer and <laughs> it'll make a fortune i don't know why no one thought of this before here you go little johnny you get to learn how to make an ipa gee golly gee willikers sir so my bar is set in the 50s is what you're saying as perceived by the 70s yeah it's yeah. a it's a pop shop it's soda pop it's rhubarb <laughs> pie it's 
Like, what is what is your envisioning? White pit- picket fences. Uh, White picket fences that you then yarn bomb and put. <laughs> yarn bomb is a modern thing, or it was a modern thing. Again, it's the 50s as envisioned by the 2010s. Is that what we're in? I don't know. I, yeah, yeah, but we're almost out of them. I know, but like when there was the 1910s, they didn't call it the 10s. There was the uh, Roaring Twenties, the Depressing Thirties, the War Forties, but no one called it the Tens. No, no, they didn't. They just didn't talk about it at all. Well, then they would not have made it on this podcast. Nineteen eleven or nineteen fourteen. So they didn't. They had Tourette's too. They just. I was going Mermaid Man. Truth be told. Eleven D four. Um or uh it almost sounds like Dumbledore from uh uh Harry Potter Papa Pals. <laughs> Aaron, if the kids from Harry Potter were craft beers, what would they be and why? I don't know, BuzzFeed. <laughs> That's not a BuzzFeed. It will be now that we came up with the idea. BuzzFeed's like <gasps> Yeah. Hermione would be pumpkin cider. No, she wouldn't. She would be like an oatmeal stout. That's Ron Weasley you're thinking of no, right there. No, Ron Weasley would be some logger uh, that is... Uh, no, Ron's got to come from like a family. It's got to be like this Weasley family that all logger. these different... Yeah, a yeah. logger. Okay. And Harry Potter is like that experimental one. Uh, like the one that's uh, like a um, an ale, but it's like... Uh, uh, <laughs> see, the thing is, is if we were like, this is a question best saved for uh, our humble beer podcast because I really feel like they would be able to answer that. Okay, I'm going to give you a list of literary characters that they then have to pair with beers, well, and then the we'll save that yeah. for drunk here's, literature. Yeah, and we'll just yeah. continue to network these podcasts into a and shout out after shout out after shout out. So shout out. I guess my one thing to continue the topic that you brought up uh is that um something i guess people don't know about me is uh here in april i will be running uh a warrior dash with uh some friends tell tell me about the outfits i really don't care about exercise but i have to know about the outfits uh yeah so apparently this time because this is the second or third for a couple of these guys um if not like fifth or sixth for at least one of them, I know that. Uh, it's gonna be uh, apparently a jailbreak, and we're gonna get like Party City uh, prison jumpsuits. And um, I was gonna cut the sleeves off of it so I could just be that dude. Uh, and then you mean the dude who's gets to stay hydrated and not die because their giant jumpsuit is slowly strangling them? Exactly. Like, no, you should have the jumpsuits, is... but then do the thing that they do, where they take off the arms and just tie the arms around their waist, so they're just running. Oh, where, like, they, they take off the top part, and you wear, like, the thing underneath. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. See, when you said uh, uh, jailbreak, I could only think of just all of you with Elvis pompadours and black and white striped shirts. 
running loose <laughs> through your hair, <laughs> running in skinny jeans. Yeah, that's what I thought. But that's really cool, Aaron. Um, what are you doing to prepare for that mentally, physically? Uh, mentally is thinking about how I'm going to be doing a shit ton of obstacles through mud and water and dirt and and uh all just getting really dirty and then uh physically i've been working out and you know trying to hit the ellipticals i'm a little concerned for you honestly the last obstacle course we did was the inflatable fun run and the name alone is enough to conjure up a very light fun atmosphere you and i got stripped so bad and never saw the rest of our team yeah. for the entirety of the race. Yeah, that was that that kind of upset me a little bit too cuz we were supposed to like supposed to be this big fun thing with all our friends and like it left us behind. Like and we kept trying we, we I remember one time we got through like the first obstacle together and then the second one came around and it was the one with like the holes and I thought you're supposed to put your feet in the holes like the old uh, army uh, exercise but no you're supposed to bounce on top of them well once we figured that out they were already over the little wall halfway through and so we got over them and they just kept going and it's like and we finally caught up with them at one point like after the third for the third obstacle and they're like hey why don't you guys slow up oh blah 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 and then they were gone yeah they cared a lot about their time on the inflatable no, that's the fun thing run. is they don't. Richard apparently uh, walks the most of it. Well, uh, I wish you all the luck. I will be there having s'mores around a fire pit and enjoying some Netflix and chill while you run this dirty, muddy race. <laughs> well, it was my New Year's resolution last year, and it never came around. Um, I was supposed to do... I was going to try to do a different one. Uh, in 2017 but it, it never came to fruition so uh, I knew it was like you know what I, I want to do this because uh, 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 John a friend of the show who's been on it a couple times and uh, our other friend Derek actually had tickets to one and they got rained out so see I know why because of lightning but also like the whole point is to have a challenging run through dirty obstacles controlled Control dirty obstacles. Okay. See, that's that's where you lose me. If it's controlled, I want no part of it. I want whitewater rafting. I want hiking with no guardrails. The minute you put safety bars on the thing, I'm not doing it. It scares me to death. Yeah, that's why she doesn't do roller coasters either. Aaron, that was going to be my like thing that I told them next week. And now they know. And I got to think of an entirely different whole oh, thing about me. Oh, no. Oh, shucks. Well, I guess we have to get to the reason why we're here. We just have to talk about movies now. That <laughs> oh, you've ruined no. it. Oh, no, just uh, it's so terrible to actually you or actually do what our podcast or what we intended our podcast for. Uh, yeah, so we talk about movies sometimes. And, and sometimes. Uh, we'll see how much we actually talk about movies in 2018. But first off, shout out to MoviePass. <laughs> Because never has it been easier to be a movie reviewer than in the golden age of MoviePass, where for nine ninety five a month, you can see any movie you want every day. And uh, uh, we we will tag them in this. Like, we will actually put at MoviePass. Oh, so. yeah. We got uh, three-month gift cards for each of our pairs of parents. Like, you will not be disappointed. You see one movie, the thing is paid for. But the uh, great thing about MoviePass is that you can... 
go see shit movies now or movies even that you weren't I if they would so us. <laughs> even movies that you weren't so interested in but now you're like well i literally have nothing to lose besides this bag of popcorn but i can take the popcorn with me if this is a dud and just there walk out with my red vines and i'm all good to go and what's cool too okay so you pay 9.95 you get to see any 2d non-imax non-rpx that kind of stuff movie so that's that's where the the condition comes in it's but fine any it's time of the day uh once a day you get to see a movie for free uh but then what happens is like oh i'm not spending 20 25 30 dollars on tickets alone oh so then i'll so now i'll actually like plan on getting popcorn or a drink or you know uh candies actually getting concessions which then that actually goes to the theater itself the ticket prices or the ticket sales don't they go to the the box office or they go to the the production companies Mm. now that being said we didn't get to every movie they put out this holiday no god no no there there was plenty that we did not see for various reasons uh the movie that i didn't see but want to see which we're gonna see is shape of water and i'm very excited for shape of water but i know i have purposely let myself know as little about it as possible so i'm gonna be hopefully surprised and enjoy my experience when i finally get there yeah um the one movie i didn't see uh that comes to mind uh probably has to be um probably daddy's home too god damn really well that's the only one i can think of that we haven't watched or we're like not planning on watching anytime soon I'm, i am i you know you know this was the year that i realized i couldn't watch certain movies because of certain people and having both Marky Mark and Mel Gibson in a movie was instant killer for me. Two thumbs down, can't be a part of this. Like, Same I mean, reason I can't watch Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them for the next 60 years. They yeah. continue to make that happen. I, I know, I hear Nitz Commander's a, a interesting, compelling character. And I like the concept of the animals. That was one of the books I bought about Harry Potter when it was still... Like, you know, it's still all the rage. I say all the rage. Like, it's gone away and it never has. But back then they did the cute little textbooks. And one of them was yeah. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And it was just an encyclopedia of all these different beasts and how dangerous they were. And little, it was like Pokemon. And they told you all this stuff about them and little descriptions and illustrations. And it was cool. I'm like, that's a cool thing. I'd like to see that. But just having Giant Up continually, pervasively be the face of that is just like beyond the whole prequel you know, Star Wars problem of its fanficy American universe. <laughs> I just can't stand him anymore. Well, um, he's not in the first one, but I understand where that thought process. He shows up from, at the but... spoilers. He shows up at the end. Oh, okay, I'm not going to tell I you how seen... he shows up at the end. Okay, and when he shows have, up, you I realize still I still haven't seen the. It's okay when you when he shows at the end, you realize that he's going to be in the next six movies, and you're like, oh. So I'm stuck with you now in a way that the actor he's replacing, I would have much rather have that actor, but say lovey. I'll say well, no more. Well, I know, um, uh, well, and I know what you're talking about with the textbooks. I actually had the Quidditch one and uh, Hogwarts a History one, I'm pretty sure. So That's so cool. Yeah. That part, I mean, it was back innocent, an innocent time with Harry Potter when you could put that stuff out and no one accused you of of fanfic or 
you know, playing on our, you know, we had to have more Harry Potter. It was in the midst of Harry Potter. We already had all the Harry Potter we could possibly have, and we kept getting more. It was great. Um, but we're not here to talk about Harry Potter. <laughs> no. Uh, we, we could. We could talk endlessly. Uh, we were, because it's Christmas break, all ABC Family slash Freeform plays on Christmas break is the Harry Potter movies. Like, they're somehow synonymous with Christmas, and I will not lie, I mean... Christmas is in every single one of them, but that's because it takes place over the course of a school year. So that's yeah, like saying almost... that Memorial Day is in all of these, or Thanksgiving, or it's or an like, Easter or, movie, guys. Or the Die Hard's a Christmas movie. I mean, you know, that's it's just a it's a hard uh, hard to prove. So uh, I'm sorry, Aaron. What was that? Uh, you're gonna have to speak up. I can't can't hear you over this ringing in my ear. Can can you can you look really close at that? Twat. <laughs> I can't hear you. Shut up. I have an ear infection, and I need to finger it out. <laughs> that's terrible. You've never heard that one. No, I've never heard that. Oh, that's 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 a that's a good old boy one, <laughs> or at least welcome I heard our, it from some good. Welcome old to boy. our podcast: visual gags and curses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, no, today we are here to talk about movies we actually did see. All right. What do you want to start with? Uh, I'd like to start with the one that we just saw. We saw it last night. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to see it with a bunch of friends. Um, and uh, apparently two people wanted to sit next to me and neither of them were my wife. <laughs> uh, I got to tell you, Aaron, it is a completely different experience to not sit next to you in the movie theater. I bet it was, and it was uh, it was interesting because John and I talked a little bit, but our friend Keenan was like all about little comments, like not like where he would say it to me, he would just say little comments. It was like, okay, mm-hmm. my uh, friend Sam was like that. Now he never spoke, but his mouth would move in the theater. And at first, I thought he was like reciting the words with them, and then during intermission, I looked over and I was like, no, it's just a nervous tick. So it just looks like he's talking constantly throughout the movie, but it's just like his mouth moving, and I'm like, "Oh my god, stop!" <laughs> Ke- uh, our friend Keenan is like a uh, old man trapped in a uh, twenty, thirty year old's body, and he—that's not meant as an insult mm-hmm. either. He's—he's uh, he's just he's kind of an old soul. But there are certain people like in a movie that you really want to see that you want that you would want to sit next to, and then there are people that you're okay with sitting next to when you're watching a movie on the TV at home and you could pause it all the time. Yeah. There's there's pros and cons, and different people have different movie experiences. I totally get that. I am a talker. I am absolutely a comment maker. I joke uh jokester uh you know a needler i'm i that's exact that is absolutely who i am and i like to just pretend that everything around me is fading away and none of you are here except when we share a collective emotion <laughs> i don't need to hear your quips unless you're bill corbett <laughs> <laughs> i uh i'd love to do some sort of riff tracks or uh you know that kind of thing so so the greatest showman yes number one was the great or uh the one that we just saw last night was the greatest showman um we were recommended this movie by our friend rich who uh, I'd love to have on the show at one point. I don't know what we would what we would talk about. Rich should give us a four one one. He's a he's our regal insider now. Yeah, he uh, he actually got to see this um, for work and said it was really good. That he loved it a lot. And I was like, oh okay, so let me uh, let me check this out. I remember when the trailer came out. It was painting this movie as like the movie, the movie you must see, the emotional linchpin of this holiday season. Because it starts with just, like, 
all the music and the dancing and uh, the lookout because here I come song, the this is me song, which is I think one of the best songs in the movie, and it paints it as just like this I really. Is, I think the lookout here I come and this is me is the same song. It is the same song. I yeah, was trying sorry. to think of what when you hear those words you're like oh that song. I didn't yeah. want to ex- exclude anyone the, who the may one... not know <laughs> for word for word what each title of this brand new movie soundtrack is. Uh, I for me it was interesting because when we sat down right before the movie started Hugh Jackman and the director came on screen and basically just said hey we're really glad you came to the movies it was fun to make this and we're glad you're here at the movies enjoy and I'm like I know there's a point I know there's a marketing gimmick here but for all intents and purposes what you are suggesting is that thank you for continuing to make our jobs exist. <laughs> yeah, because I think that was what the the angle was, is that they were saying, you know, there was a, there's a lot of jobs in front of the screen, there's a lot of jobs behind the screen, or sorry, behind the camera, in front of the camera. Even more so that the experience of being in a theater with other people is an important, integral part to a movie that you sometimes lose with home viewing when you buy your DVD or you stream it on Netflix or whatever. Yeah, and... Um, it, yeah, so I, I, I like that. With the final movie we discussed, absolutely. Uh, and we'll get to that. But yeah. The Greatest Showman... Am I gonna ruffle some feathers? 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 If I say it's just too twee? Like, what do you mean by twee? Like, like, it's too perfect? Like, the beats were... Okay, when I say perfect, I mean that the story arc hits notes that you're expecting and then it hits them but instead of being happy that it hit the notes you're like but you but mean surprise like going, you me. mean like it's just going through the motions not even that not even that because they're clearly putting effort and the songs are worthwhile i'd say half of the songs are instantly hummable and worth listening to on their own without context of the movie absolutely um the I opening felt- opening song that was good. Uh, I I like the continuation of the opening song. I didn't like the opening song at the opening. Um, I I felt like what it was trying to do. It was it was trying to be um, another kind of Hamilton. I've never seen Hamilton. I've not I've not watched the play on uh on the stage. I've not read a synopsis of the play. So what the hell is your context for saying it's like Hamilton? It's Something, like this thing I know nothing well, about. If you let me finish, <laughs> I would say that um, from my outsider's perspective of it or my outside impression of it is that it's this musical set in um, an older time you know, uh, revolutionary time versus, uh, you know, mid century kind of industrialists, uh, at, or industrial esque time. Uh, and, uh, has an idea about someone who was big at that time. And then, you know, being decently, uh, a, you know, like with costumes and thought processes, processes and this and that, but then all the music is freaking modern. <laughs> Every single song, I would say, except for like two, which would be like the greatest show, which is kind of the opening and closing number, 
and here I come or look out or, you know, that, that one, the one from the trailer are like the more timeless ones. The other ones are too modern. Like they're not bad. They're just too modern. Hmm. Like, um, the, the one between Hugh Jackman and his character's wife, the one where it kind of goes through their charity chair with, uh, with him and charity, the, the character, um, uh, when it shows them as when it starts off as them as kids and ends as them with as adults, that that one was fun and a little modern. But that one was less modern. But like the greatest show, super modern. The beat, everything, never be enough, which you didn't get to see because you went yeah. to the theater for popcorn. Was really good. It it was probably the most emotionally. I caught, I caught compl- the reprise of it. It was most probably the most emotionally complex of the songs for what's happening in the plot as it unfolds. Except for, um, look out here I come. Well, that's more of the 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 powerful anthem. It's okay. meant to be. This is me. I'm here. I'm not going to fade away into that good night. Uh, whereas never enough. That's. The, the whole purpose of never be enough is that no matter what you have, it is never going to be enough. And it impacts three of the main characters in vastly different ways as it occurs. And it and the whole point of that song is something that I don't think a lot of songs ever really get out. Because it's not a villain song, and it's but the, but the message is saying is that no matter what, it's never going to be enough. And that is a villain trait in a musical where yeah. it's never enough until I have everything until everything is destroyed then I'll have enough uh, which uh, brings me to I think my most problematic point um, I'm not entirely okay with how the opera singer is treated in the movie and I have no idea of the uh, of the legit no of the reality of her existence I don't think that matters because when we were recommended this movie, we were told that it was P.T. Barnum was not a nice guy like they portray him in this. He did things that aren't okay. He was not. But the point of the movie isn't about creating a realistic depiction of this particular individual. It's more about giving a, a great idea of the idea of the man. And it's kind of in a similar vein to Saving Mr. Banks in that way. Yeah, um, kind of a, you know, this this guy he made mis or not necessarily not not even necessarily made mistakes, but hey, here's kind of a version of this man, um, like where the heart is or the based on a true story type things is like. Hey, this is kind of our interpretation of the events. Now it may not be a hundred percent true, but it's based on a true story. And you know, they never, ever in the advertisements purported to be based on true events. Yeah, they just that was never about that once. Yeah, it was never once part of the marketing campaign that hey, this un- it's like no, and you can tell it from the plot and the story they choose to tell. Which, it's a bit more fantastical than that. It, it's based in reality, but with like a half step up. I do know uh, at the end, um, no spoilies, but at the end, uh, 
P.G. Barnum does ride an elephant through the winter yeah, London, uh, of winter cool. New York. Like he absolutely did that in real life. Just yeah. took his elephants places. Uh, yeah, I can, I can, I can see. Had that. zebras on his carriages. He just didn't I, yeah, care. <laughs> I, uh, to go back to the point, I don't like how they treated that character either. But I, I, I don't like their character motivations. Yeah, the opera, opera singer, singer. She's painted as someone who is looking for something more because she also came out of poverty like P.T. Barnum did and that these ovations, while great, they're never going to fill that hole inside her heart. Then there's this tour montage where they go on tour together and they've, she has met his wife. She knows he has children and that he loves them and yet somehow gets it in her head in a scene that it's going to go down between the two of them and when he rebukes her, which, thank God, because I was not looking forward to that plot point of, oh, I kissed her and then I realized it was a mistake and now it's too late to get the girl back. I hate that plot. Uh, this one is, no, I have a wife. And she's like, oh, I'm just one of your acts. You spurn me, I'll spurn you. And then she tricks him into, then she tricks him into kissing her so she can ruin him. But for no reason, she never shows back up. She was never a villain. She was never given that character development on screen that I could see. Yeah, and like honestly, like they could have played it a different way where they said, "Hey, uh, you know, like he's like he's like, oh my goodness, we're uh, you know, I'm so happy that she's doing this with us, and you know, and someone be like, man, you make it seem like you're in love with her, and he'd be like, no, she's a great asset, you know, I can." use this to start building money for the circus or the circus can build money for her. You know, this could be show show that I'm actually legitimate in this and that. That's why it's hard. The movie treads both lines without committing to either. Yeah. He's both a loving family man who wants to give everything to his wife, give her the life she always wanted and their children legitimacy. On the other hand, he's a really shrewd businessman who knows what the way to get people in the seats and doesn't mind fibbing and faking and it says you know what matters is that people are enjoying themselves people don't want to know the fleas in the flea circus aren't real yeah but it never fully commits to either one of these ideas at the very end it decides to play the route of oh what he really wanted to be was a family man and the greatest show is actually the his life with his family but they never really like that's the thing. We talk about, oh, we do things, me and my wife, we do things together. We're a team. But she never is a part of any of this business venture in any real way. She doesn't nope. even offer advice on what to give. The girls at least say, you, Dad, you need more alive things in your museum, like a mermaid or something. And then he gets the idea to actually have living people, not just these wax figures. Uh, but she never does that. She's just that kind of supportive girlfriend i know she's his wife but she's like that supportive person um and again i think has a, there's a lot to do with the musical where you have to paint with broad strokes yeah. you have to paint characters very broadly because it's hard to get into the nuance with a musical when you only have your tidy hour and a half to two hours and uh and i actually didn't think i was gonna like the wife character at all because in the movies she seems kind of more aloof and i was gonna be like oh they're gonna play her as like this like down earth person but she's actually like ah like real money money and stuff like that but truth be told how the actress i i don't know her name off at all uh how she played her was a lot better and that was part of the the good things with this movie and the bad things with this movie um the the good thing is is when someone did a good job they did a really good job hugh jackman did a good job 
I think Hugh Jackman is a great actor, and he uh, sometimes kind of gets typecast as this like tough guy uh, because of Wolverine, but he's proven time and time again that he's actually a good actor. Um, and he's actually like we were in any doubt about that. Well, but then the bigger thing but, is that people forget that he's a good singer. That's yeah. I mean, he was on Broadway with Oklahoma as uh, uh, whatever his face is. So. Um, <laughs> But the, surely a great rule, whatever his face is. No, I, I'm, I'm just not remembering it at the top, uh, right now. Um, but like with, uh, he was the villain in Oklahoma. It's, uh, it's a very specific name. Uh, and the actress who played his wife, who played Charity, uh, she did a good job. I didn't think I was gonna like her at all, but she, she kind of proved me wrong. The bearded lady, I, I, uh, I she, I don't even voice. know if they even said her name. Truth be told, but they never like said many of the names except for the the short guy. It from my memory, but she did a great job. She was kind of the leader, but she wasn't like I have to be the leader. She just kind of like was the leader. Mm-hmm. But that actress, man, she could be quiet and almost mousy at times or she could be loud and boisterous and bombastic man i love i can't wait to see her and more she's gonna be amazing Uh, hopefully she can she she does more so um but then like and i okay i was surprised by zendaya because i didn't hate her but I didn't like her either. So, be, but because I didn't hate her, she did a better job than I was gonna give her credit for. The bar is set super low, so she was able to step over that, but not by much. Uh, so I, I but like Zac Efron didn't do that great of a job, and I like Zac Efron. Uh, some of the other characters were uh, flatter. Um, the oddities, uh, a lot of them were okay. The the short guy, they kept dubbing over his lines. I don't know if it's because he was having trouble saying the lines or they had a hard time under understanding them, but he like almost all of his lines, if not all of them were dubbed over and it got, it was very apparent from the beginning. So, uh, but my favorite character or one of my favorite characters has to be the bartender from the scene <laughs> with, uh, Hugh Jackman and Zach. Where Efron. they're bargaining. Yeah. I can't imagine how much, rehearsal time it took to get those moves exact because there was a lot of those things there was no cgi in those scenes that was all stunts i mean there were camera cuts there were camera cuts sometimes but they didn't cgi the glasses in there no i i think you're right and that again how you said something about towing the lines or going down both lines without committing to one or the other they couldn't tell whether they wanted to have more CGI or if they wanted to have more uh, practical and do things, you know, in real life, because there's at one point there's a, a scene on top of a roof and it's very obvious. Or if you look for it, the backdrop is painted and I, and that's okay. It actually looked really cool. Um, but then there was a scene where, uh, the, uh, the, the, that very bar scene where the camera like goes up and is looking down at uh, Hugh Jackman and Zac Efron, and then it kind of swivels back around, and it shows that they're actually in the the circus building, and then it turns around again, and they're actually in the circus building because it was like half and half at one point, and then it's all the building. So they're like, there are points when they use the CGI well, and there's points when they use the practical effects 
well. And then there was times when they were both terrible. <laughs> like, they couldn't commit to one way or the other, so it was like... Uh... <laughs> Final thought for me. As with most movie musicals, this would be better as a musical. As, as in, a, as a I want to see this put on stage. Everything in here feels like they should be playing to the back audience. They feel yeah. like they should be playing for the rafters with every single one of these. The songs are good and catchy. Uh, almost every visual trick that they do is absolutely replicatable on set, on a stage. Um, the opening scene where it's him and his, as an adult and he's imagining his circus and then it all fades away and it's just his younger self looking at an outfit in a store window. I can see that being a great opening to a theatrical production. Oh, there's, yeah, there, there's plenty of like the transitions and, and stuff like that that I could easily see as a, uh, like, and you're willing I could to, easily see this on stage. Like, you're 100%. willing to believe. And with theater, you're willing to suspend your disbelief a hell of a lot more than in a movie. And I like suspending my disbelief in movies. I like being tricked in a movie. I like being absorbed and brought into that world. Um, but for me, there... So you say, so you're saying you like to be a part of that world. You're a part of that world. I want to be where the people are. I really do like what this movie's intent was. I feel like the execution was not where it needed to be. And I have a very difficult time parsing if it's because it was too theatrical of a movie or if because the plot was too dependable. So before um, you can keep going on that uh, or, or with your final thought, uh, do we want to change up our uh, rating system? It is a new year. What were you thinking? I don't know. Maybe uh, we could do something a little different. We're doing a lot of movies here. I don't want to start adding up like 20 different Yeah, no, no, no. That's, see, that, see, you want to keep going down and down and down. It's like we just need to have some sort of system where like, uh, you know, I've seen one that was like Pumps of Butter or something like that because it was called Real Butter. <laughs> Uh, like a movie reel butter, uh, and they did uh, pumps for, you know, stars. Uh, we could say, uh, you know, we could just do out of 10 for us, or we could even do a grade system. So I feel that's all more complicated than what we do already. It might be, but I don't know. I feel like it kind of not fair to the movies themselves, but uh maybe maybe, maybe maybe what we'll do is we'll we'll stick with it and then we'll try to come up with a new one we really should discuss that before we started tonight then yeah we probably should have but uh it's okay we've changed we, we we can change things in the middle so it's all good so your final thought uh what is your score if i saw it on stage four out of five as it is three out of five I see you're more, uh, you're much more generous than I am. Uh, final thought would have to be, I, uh, there, the parts that I liked, I liked the parts I didn't like, I hated. Uh, I felt like there was a lot of times there were people who were reacting because the actors themselves were told they need to react. Not that their characters were reacting and why, Cause like at the beginning, the little girl is like, 
she, it was like she was told to laugh at something that the the boy is doing but as soon as she was done laughing she was like immediately just like a blank slate again and i don't think it was the the actress's fault i believe in my mind i'm gonna say it's because of the the motivation um there were some really cool things that happened there's some really neat things i will probably end up getting uh 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 who i am or here i am <laughs> i will probably end up getting that song somehow because uh, that I, I i i didn't think i liked it that much and then i was humming it on the way home so yeah. uh there are some good songs on this uh there are some great there are some good performances there's some great shots um, there are some neat things, but overall, kind of meh. So. Uh, I'm going to give it a two. So, five out of ten. An average movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want something to put on the background, this was kind of good, or you just want to... It's worth a watch, but it's not... It speaks to it when people were buying the soundtrack before they saw the movie. The soundtrack is good. You'll yeah, like the songs. But it, it, it's kind of one of those, um, again, not not Hamilton. Hamilton is a good comparison, but I feel like there was a musical where, like, recently where people did that. Maybe, like, Les Mis or Moulin something. Rouge. No. Les like, Mis well, is not modern music. Well, no, not, not necessarily the modern part. Is that something here recently where they people enjoyed the music more than, than they enjoyed the movie itself? Maybe, like, Moana or something like that. Sing. You know, that may be, that actually might be a good comparison because, uh, 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 Taron Edgerton or, uh, the guy who played Johnny, who's also in uh, The Kingsman, I fucking love his interpretation. He did such a great job. And that's, uh, that's, I mean, it's hard to do Elton John and not be, uh, Madam Elton John, uh, Sir Elton John, whichever he would prefer, but, like, they did a fucking good job with that <laughs> like i remember i was sitting in the in the theater or sorry not in the theater you and i watched it in the middle of a uh, park and we watched it and i'm like that was really good that was fun like not not the entire movie the entire movie was bleh, anyways but the the song was really good i know it's on your youtube playlist you play it all the time because it's, it's actually pretty damn good all right so moving on to movie number two Go, try to go a little quicker. Uh, the second movie was one I had been looking forward to. Second movie, was... I'm going to go ahead and tell you a five out of five. I... Oh. Okay, it is only five out of five if you have seen The Room. If you have not seen The Room, do not go see this movie. You will still like it. It'll still be funny. But the sheer joy that The Room has brought to so many people... If you have not seen it, tragically, tragically undercuts the premise of the Disaster Artist. The Disaster Artist works on so many different levels that it's sickening. It, it is, is a mockumentary sickening. on the same level as this is Spinal Tap. It, no, it's on a different level. It's a different category. Because, like, This is Spinal Tap is supposed to be funny and, like, poke fun at this kind of stuff. The Disaster Artist is literally a movie made about the making of the wor- one of the worst movies of all time. And I know that all it oh, sounds like I'm just doing well, it's a premise like of it. Well, then it's like that movie that is about the making of Troll 2, then. Mixed with This is Spinal Tap. Yep. Mixed with, like... 
fucking Princess Bride or some something that's like amazing. Like almost all of the actors, like the main characters, turn in amazing performances. Yeah. James Franco as Tommy Wiseau is Match Me in Heaven. It is I like I remember there was a point in time, and it was around Spider-Man. I was like, oh, James Franco, oh, whatever. And then he came out uh, with Pineapple Express. And I had seen Seth Rogen in something else before then. I'm like, oh, okay. I know Seth Rogen can kind of be funny, but James Franco? Because I, I never watched Freaks and Geeks. I, I, I haven't seen it at all, nor had I heard of it before Pineapple Express. So I didn't know that's where James Franco got to start. I only really knew him from freaking, uh, whatchamacallit. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I watched him, like, I see them having fun. I see them having this. And I, I can't remember what it was, but then there was a movie James Franco was in. It was like, okay, he's funny. He's genuinely funny. He can do this. He went from James Franco to James Franco. Wow. <laughs> uh, and then... Dave Franco is my favorite in this movie. As as deep as James goes, as wide as he takes this character, there's you see development in the man who can't even fucking pronounce Mark correctly. He he manages to explore a psyche of a man that may not even be from this planet. I love as them being real life brothers. As working yes. as this friendship dynamic. I have been waiting for this forever, and this is the movie that they chose to do together. I'm so happy because Dave Franco, again, here's another uh, something with the Franco brothers. I didn't like both of them when I first started. Dave Franco, first time I saw him was Scrubs, the 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 additional season slash series, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he plays a douche, super douche. Uh, and he doesn't, he kind of redeems himself near the end of the season, but not really, but it, it works way too well. And then like, and then I saw him and I was like, son of a bitch. I like this guy. I shouldn't like him at all. Oh, and I do. Now you see me. It might've been now you see me. I, you might be right on that. And I'm like, God damn it, I like this guy. And ever since that point, I'm like, ooh, Dave Franco. Ooh, Dave Franco. Mm -hmm. And Dave Franco is fucking awesome in this. Mm -hmm. Every character was wonderful. The sheer comedy being emoted in every scene purely by the circumstances that the characters have found themselves in. This is not like... This is, this is all the best things about the room. All the unintentional comedy is there. Because the room was about Tommy Wiseau. It's a story about himself. So when you tell a documentary about the man about the story about himself, you don't have to act. He is just himself. Yep. He is that weird guy, no matter in front of the camera or behind the camera. And once again, Zac Efron shows up on our list as oh, the greatest cameo I have ever seen. Fucking cameo in the entire goddamn movie, except for the scene, the the after credit scene. Yes. Okay, we're not going to bother with the plot of Disaster Artist or the Room because once again, if you have not seen the Room, get a bunch of friends together, drink a little bit. Don't drink get, a little. Don't get slashed. Don't get slammed. 
don't get slammer just drink a little bit and then sit throughout the night you'll enjoy the shit out it of it it works even if you are not expecting a bad movie it sometimes works even better if you're not expecting a bad movie cuz then they just start saying why are we but they're just and why is what what but you and you probably won't appreciate it a hundred percent the first time you watch it, but it's one of those movies. It grows you, on you. It grows like on. a fungus. <laughs> I remember my friends, uh, or uh, we have some friends from high school who we still talk to. I remember Adult Swim was playing it uh, like a couple times, and like genius. Uh, and my friend was like, "Dude, you gotta watch this movie. It's so awesome." And like, I, I think I watched like the first ten minutes of it. I'm like, "This is terrible. This is so fucking stupid." And I, because I didn't get it. Yeah. And that's the thing too. You may watch it, and you may not get it. It is a bad movie. Do not get us wrong. It is a terrible movie. Terrible. It is not a good movie. movie. And yet. It will delight you more than a million Sharknados, more than a million Birdemics. It will continue to bring joy to your life when other comedic movies have faded into obscurity. This will remain as a testament to the passion of one man going horribly, horribly wrong and then just rolling with it. The end of this movie is how it really was, and that was something that astonished me. For all the times I'd watched The Room, I had no idea... That at the premiere, people did laugh at it the way that you will laugh at it when you watch it. People did think it was stupid and hysterical at the premiere. And Tommy Wiseau saw that, figured it out, composed himself, and said, Okay, how did you like my intentionally funny movie? Brilliant! Uh, he, He saw an opportunity, and he went with it, and... Here we are, like, 20 years later, still talking about this terrible, basically, student film that managed to get a somewhat wide release. It didn't. That's the thing, though. It it premiered once, because Johnny pawed out the theater and said, you will play this, and that was the only time it ever played in a theater anyway, until decades later, when people started seeing it, screening it. Um, We still don't know where he's from. We still don't know how old he is. Only recently has he admitted that he is not from America. Yep. Again, the the idea behind all of this, behind the room, behind the disaster artist, the real life story, the documentary, the mockumentary, all of it is... This movie movie is quote-unquote based on uh, the guy who played Mark, I'm I'm actually forgetting Mm -hmm. his name, uh, is actually based on his book that he wrote... Of his experiences while making the film with Tommy Wiseau. They're still friends to this day. And Tommy Wiseau said that as James Franco portrays him, he is 99% accurate in that movie. Yeah. Like as close as you can possibly get to what he really is like. And that speaks volumes if nothing else. And like I've heard like they're thinking about getting this some award like getting on the track for some awards and I tell you right now it needs to win something. I don't care what. There is so much great meta commentary about this movie that you know I really would be interested in seeing. You know what? We did. 
there were people we ran into from your work who have not seen the room who went to see this movie. Oh yeah, shout out to shout out to it. Nick and Greg. Yeah, they and they did enjoy it, and that's and that's the thing too. Is this isn't one of those where you just won't get it if you haven't seen the room. We suggest, highly recommend that you do it that way because it provides this whole meta level of commentary. You start to see things and recognize things that you saw in the movie and. Like you said, the credit scene where they side by side shots oh, are they're we, just great. Okay, that yeah, that that was awesome. Um I'm talking about the after credit scene. There is an after credit scene. If you've not watched Disaster Artist yet and you go watch it, there's an after credit scene. You'll thank me later. So plus you get to see James Franco's ass. So. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So all right. Final thought? Oh, five out of five. Any other final no. thought? Okay. <laughs> Just go watch it. Uh, my final thought. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm going to talk about. If you've not seen the movie, this is one of those situations where if you watch the movie and then watch Disaster Artist or even vice versa, you'll understand what I mean. But Josh Hutcherson as Danny or as Denny. Oh my God. I remember I the saw... The role he was born to play. When I saw him... Man like, boy of ambiguous like, age. And I saw that he was like, I saw like a preview and, I, and then I saw that they had Denny and then it, for some reason I'm like, oh shit, I think that's Josh Hutcherson. There's a beautiful shot of the first day of filming when he's giving a pep talk to the crew and they start panning over everyone and they're wearing their outfits from the movie so you can tell who they are and you're like, oh my goodness, the casting was incredible. The people who they got to play these characters and these people... They, like not only did a good job but they look pretty damn similar uh with honestly the person who looks the least like their character is dave franco and dave franco's performance is probably my favorite of the oh, entire yeah. movie Super with enjoyable. james franco being the, the the second one so my only issue on why i have to knock one point off is there's too much of uh oh, what's his face um uh, the this is forty. Uh, the Seth Rogen, no, Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow. There is there's too much influence of Judd Apatow. There are moments that are so Apatow esque. May I confess something to you? I don't believe I've ever seen a Judd Apatow movie besides this one. Uh, so I have no there's, idea. There's, there uh, there's a couple okay ones like this is forty. Certainly, like if you're of that age it's actually it speaks to you a little bit um what you know which i would kind of hope but like um like when i watch it was i always hangover but what's the what's, 40 year old virgin no yeah i think that one i th- think that was his first one and Zach he, he had, and mary make a porno that's kevin smith see no it's not yes it is no yes it is but it was I, terrible I, yeah so that's why I don't think it's Kevin Smith. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Uh, no, um, the one that Seth Rogen kind of broke out in, Catherine Heigl was into, um, about when she gets pregnant. Yes. And, uh, I'm forgetting what it's called. Uh, but that that movie is Judd Apatow as well. So, like when I saw Grand Budapest Hotel, only Wes Anderson movie I've ever seen, but I could tell immediately, oh, this is a style. This is Wes yeah. Anderson. Yeah. I don't, I guess I don't see... Which I do see... want to see that new one, The Isle of Dogs. I do want to see that one. I don't see The Appetonist, but I've never seen another one, so I don't have any to compare. Yeah, if you've watched a couple of his stinkers too, like uh, The Funny People with Seth Rogen and Adam Sandler, 
I watched it. It was not that good. Uh, but Judd Apatow, like, that's the thing is, it was Judd Apatow, but it wasn't Judd Apatow. I could tell he had influences, like, they thought, like, hey, we're kind of having a little trouble with this one scene, what do you think? And he was like, oh, try doing it this way, and they did it, and Judd Apatow's not my favorite person, but I can see how he can be funny, because that weird, overly awkward style, so, uh, so I have to say four out of five, because of the Judd Apatowness. Dave Franco is a delight, James Franco is amazing, Uh, absolutely, absolutely recommend whether you've watched the room or not watch the room first like i said with some alcohol but nine out of ten i absolutely i absolutely am okay with that so the next one is the one that you were looking forward to immensely when we found out it was on hulu or amazon prime you're like we're watching this from one indie darling to another it's the big sick which did come out a while ago, so forgive us that we have just now decided to catch up on the best movie of the year, but... Oh, yeah, if it, I mean, it's made a few, quite a few top ten lists. A movie that, by all rights, should be terrible, because it's made by Amazon Studios. It shouldn't be good. You see the stuff that Netflix is schlocking out? For every Black Mirror, there are ten terrible movies. I would never see the light of day if it wasn't Apparently Netflix. Apparently, Bright with Will Smith is not good. Yeah, well, I don't know why Will Smith keeps... Setting on to particular projects, but we'll let that slide. The Big Sick was a delightful dramedy rom comedy with rom dramedy. Uh, drum com. Drum comedy. Drum com. It's it's everything. At the heart of it, it is a story. About a relationship that uh, ends sadly and then restarts only on one side. Um, the main guy, who you're going to tell me his name because I forget because I'm bad. Kumail Nanjiani. Kumail or, uh, I'm, Nanjiani. I'm, Nanjiani. See, I do. Is you just had to Kumail. say Kumail. Kumail Nanjiani is our protagonist. And he falls in love with a girl. Who plays himself. Who plays himself, yes. So The Big Sick is a story about Kumal's life, where he did meet this girl, fall in love. They broke up because of his family's religion and his his family's expectations for him. And then she goes into a coma. And he goes to the hospital to sit with her. And along the way, her family comes into town and he has to interact with them. And there are all these social hurdles and racial hurdles to leap over and they connect and bond the entire time that she's in a coma and the first level is that it's based on his life which is just great it's really cool to see a story with the main person as the main person written by the same person and again this is this is everything the room was trying to be and failed it's, yeah like the room is a personal project the, yeah. on the level of great personal projects like from a failed personal project onto a successful personal project it was really wonderful it was heartwarming it was it was provocative in a good way without being preachy it really 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 was um, there were some character motivations and developments that I didn't care about. And there were some, again, some overly awkward scenes, but I still really enjoyed it. Um, Hard to say at this point if things that you didn't like 
you didn't like because they actually happened and they don't serve a narrative purpose. Well, one, there's one plot point that, and you know exactly which one I'm talking about. There's one small big plot point that did not happen in real life. Uh, there's another smaller one that didn't happen in real life. Apparently, like they they were like they weren't sure if they should include it. Um, and hang on, I may have this backwards. I may actually have Judd Apatow's influences is on the big sick, whereas he was just in the Disaster Artist. You're going to have to look this up now because normally your IMDb knowledge is flawless, but I'm now imagining a thousand screaming voices in the comments section saying for the past 10 minutes, you fool, Judd Avatar had nothing to do with a disaster artist. Uh, But you're going to have to look it up. In the meantime, I'm going to stall for time by saying... That I really do like Kumail Nanjiani. I like his comedy. I like his delivery. Uh, I like seeing him and stuff. He was on an episode of Harmon Quest. And he shows up again, I believe, as a recurring character. Because the people really liked him, too. I actually did have it backwards. I had it 100% backwards. Wow. So disregard everything Aaron said. Aaron, do you want to change your... uh, star rating now since there is no apatow to speak of in- um I will, I will i will bump it up 0.5 i will say 4.5 9.5 out of 10 okay yeah. so uh, now because because and the reason i wouldn't just keep it where it is without having uh apatow so apatow was in it he was the the director producer whatever in the restaurant that was judd apatow oh yeah james franco directed it yeah that's why i bumped it up more <laughs> Oh, what fools we are. Are we even qualified to talk about movies, Aaron? Yeah, we are. Because uh, you read at, you read Apatonis, because when you say that this was directed by Judd Apatow, I'm like, oh yeah, I see that. There are the awkward this, pauses, this, the family the, interactions. The Big Sick is not directed by Judd Apatow. It is produced by Judd Apatow. Yes. That's why I like it more than just, say, like normal stuff with Judd Apatow. But there are very obvious influences from Judd Apatow. That weird, like, over-riffing that they do, like, where they, they'll take a situation and they're like, okay, instead of just talking, like, how normal or maybe riff a little bit, it's like, riff every single second. Like, you're you're riffing this entire scene. Uh, no, that was Bo Burnham. <laughs> Bo Burnham, thank you for proving what I already knew, that you are a delight, and the comedy world will suffer without having you in it. It is a special kind of person who makes your straight-up asshole likable. He... He does nothing but mean, terrible things. He is... The entire he's, he's time. He's a sassy he's, gay friend who is like... like but at the same time, like, I honestly believe in the relationship because apparently in real life he is best friends. Uh, uh, Amy, Abel, uh, the, she, it is the, uh, the woman who is now on SNL, who does a great job on SNL. I actually, I really like when I get to see her, uh, in skits and such. Um, but, uh, yeah, apparently they're best friends in real life, and I saw that because I was like, "Oh, he actually cares for her. He might be still be an asshole, but he cares for her." It's kind of like that difficult people kind of uh, vibe going on. I get you there. Um, for me, 
Ray Romano and uh, Holly Hunter. Boom, return to form. Both of them. Great job. Oh, just stellar performances. There's a really really small scene that has no relevance on the plot that is probably my favorite thing about this entire movie. Um, Eventually, uh, the girl does come out of the coma and they figure out what was wrong with her, which was great. And they figure out how to uh, combat it and work at it. Um, but she's still pretty weak afterwards. So her parents are staying with her in the flat uh, in her apartment while she gets better and better. They're just, they're just living with her. And there's a little scene near the end where she decides to go out and see Kamal's one-man show. Or just or just see him. Kamal. where he Kamal's. Sorry. Where after he's finished his one-man show... Um, she decides to go out and see him, and she's in her overalls, and she has, you know, she's like, I'm going to walk down the corner, and Holly Hunter leans out in her flannel button-up PJs with her toothbrush in her mouth, and Ray Romano leans out from the kitchen where he's got, like, a bag of chips, and he's, and they're like, are you sure you're okay, honey? Yeah, you don't need, you don't need help walking down? No, I got it. Okay, well, we'll see you later. <laughs> this beautiful little scene of your parents just coming back into your lives even when you're an adult to help you and be with you and acting like your roommates until you don't need them anymore and then they'll go back to their lives it was the sweetest little moment of a scene <laughs> i couldn't get over it it was hard to see holly hunter as a, a, as basically a woman who is my mother's age because these people are our age yeah that's that's We're always... finally getting to the point where these people really are because back then you know it was 25 year olds playing teenagers yeah uh, so you never really felt like all oh, these teenagers speak to me but now you know we're at our later 20s where we start to see these characters and these people who are in our stages of life show up again and again and you see reflections of yourself but it and like having kind of grown up a little bit with holly hunter you know with uh with various movies that she was in that kind of you know i watched like you know incredibles and um uh Actually, I watched that movie, Blue Black Book, with her and, uh, oh, Brittany Murphy. <laughs> uh, but there, there are some other things, but, uh, it, it's, it's weird for me to think, like, oh, Holly Hunter, my mother. Yeah, Holly Hunter is my mother's age. It feels, it just, it just kind of throws me off a little bit, but she, I, but that, that, that part throws me off, but not actually thinking that she, could be a mother or the, this character's mother because I absolutely believed it. <laughs> and Ray Romano, you know, everyone gives him shit uh, because of Everybody Loves Raymond. And every love, Everybody Loves Raymond was more, was less about him and it was more the group dynamic, kind of like with Modern Family or uh, uh, Bob's Burgers, you know. If you think about it, yeah, he was the main character, but you saw as much of Marie and Frank and of Robert and hell, even Deborah as you do of, uh, Ray. Um, and Ray half the time doesn't even have the funny lines or he's the funny lines cause he's just the punchline. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Charlie Sheen of the, the show. Um, but he, man, his, his performance was a lot more subdued. Yeah. And it, it worked well, really the point, well. Yeah, it was this is all about being real. It was all about being relatable. Because yeah. is like this is what really happened. Yeah, I'll give you a little bit more of a just a you know, a dynamic of storytelling here, but yeah, this is pretty much how it went down, so 
people aren't super crazy loud and boisterous in real life, but they do break or, down and uh, fight in bars in real yeah. life. There's there there's some really kick-ass scenes, and even though I shouted at the TV a couple times because of character choices and like, why the fuck are you doing it? But real life sometimes just turns out that way. That you're like, oh, I made the wrong decision, or oh, I'm gonna make this decision, you know, even though I kind of know it's not right. Um, and it worked. Like, even though I had those issues, it still really, really worked. So, um, I think I liked Disaster Artist more than I liked The Big Sick. I really liked it. And, oh, a little side note. I knew who Kamel was before this movie. Before Bob's Burgers, before Harmon Quest. Uh, because... Oh, I knew who he was. No, I I have a stand up uh, stand up station, and he popped up in there, and I instantly fell in love with it because his comedy is so good. His writing, how he writes his jokes for himself, you see it in the movie. You see those kind of jokes, um, and it it works so well. And he he's hilarious, but he's very genuine. And you get that in the movie, you get that whenever he acts, especially like in Bob's Burgers as the um, uh, the the chef that Bob becomes friends with. It's such a, he's such a, just a likable guy. He really is. So, uh, Kamel, if you're listening to this, we'd love to have you on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, this movie's all about the performances, the delivery, uh, the really sweet and tender moments. And that it doesn't get wrapped up in a neat little bow. It really does keep you on your toes. Yeah. And I think that's really impressive. Especially, I think, the most impressive thing about this is that this is being considered as award season rolls around. And it's it's technically a rom-com. Last time a rom-com made into award season was Shakespeare in Love. And that's because they love them, their historical dramas. This is this is a rom-com. It's... It's a story about how two people met and fell in love. Like, that's literally all it is. And yes, there's some human drama thrown in, but the fact that it's being considered at all in, like, one of the best movies of the year, and I think, speaks to it. And it's technically it. an independent studio. Yeah, all of these like, things going yeah. against it. And it turned out a really good product. Yep. I'd say solid. Um, I'd say four out of five. Four out of five? I'd, I'd give it a four out of five, too. All right. Eight out of ten yeah. for those who can do simple math. It is definitely worth a watch. It's a great movie to watch maybe, like, on a further along date. Yeah. Like, not a first few dates. Like, someone you've been with for a little while. If you're married, I say it's a good yeah. date night movie, too. Yep. Um, Any be, period be, of marriage. Be ready to feel some, though. It's not like, all like, my emotions. <laughs> it's more like. Oh, man. oh, da- oh, damn! I'm feeling for these characters. Yes, very much so. So, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Really good movie. Really liked it. Uh, some pretty stellar performances. Top three characters besides the Emily Gordon character. Um, the 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 top three beyond them. Uh, with Kumail, Ray Romano, and Holly Hunter, just great job. Um, and I still liked her performance. The her real name is Zoe something, but she played Emily Gordon. Uh, she did a great job. There was times I didn't agree with the direction that she went in. I, it didn't feel natural to the character or it felt overly natural. So to the point it was like, oh, it's too real. But it didn't detract from the rest of the, the movie at all. So 
Um, and it's kind of funny because some of the jokes play off of like her decisions on how to do a relationship beyond like the, the, where they have the fight. And it's, it's really funny because they just kind of progress naturally into something else. And it's, you're just like, kind of like, Oh, like, you know, what's going to happen because you, you saw the, uh, the synopsis of the previews for the movie. And then, then like when you, as you're watching, you're kind of like, okay, I know what the end result is going to be, but I'm enjoying seeing the journey. And that's what you want to see in something like that. So, uh, uh, absolutely a darling. (laughs) Now, Aaron, uh, at this point, we are about an hour and 15 minutes into this podcast. I must ask, do we dare proceed? Because I get the very strong feeling that we are going to go up to two hours total oh we're not gonna get that to far this. you and i had the same feelings i thought i think that's why we're gonna go so far no i and the thing is too is it's already been talked to death we're literally just throwing you know our uh rock into the gravel pile of this i don't feel like we're gonna say a lot that people haven't heard already i don't know i might have some curveballs for you well i think we can get through it pretty quickly all right well if you're done listening you can leave now. <laughs> Go away. You don't need to hear what movie we're going to talk about next. Well, uh, do you want to get the plugs out before? and then That's a good idea. Middle of the podcast, middle of the plug party. You can follow us on Facebook at Married to the Idea. Uh, tweet at us at Married to the Idea Reviews. Uh, email us at Married to the Idea Reviews at gmail.com. Um, and if you forget any of these links or if I've butchered them terribly because it's been a month since I did them, you can find them on our website at marriedtheidea.weebly.com. And as always, you can search on Facebook. You'll find us. Don't worry. We are hard to miss. <laughs> With that being said, Aaron, let's discuss The Last Jedi. I I think we should. And I don't think, again, I don't think we're going to have like a... Like, the most uh, unique opinions. In fact, I think I think opinions are going to be pretty... Unlikely, sir, as we found out in the days following, there are many unique opinions about The Last Jedi that I would have not thought possible. It's way more polarizing than I was expecting. Way more polarizing. In a way that can only happen... In the death rattles of the year 2017. So... This dumpster fire that let's, was a year. Let's start with just prefacing. Um, I did not grow up with the original trilogy. I knew it existed. I knew what it was about. I knew the characters. But I did not watch it when I was growing up. The first experience I had with watching a Star Wars movie was the prequels. And I gotta say, when you're a little 10-year-old tot... The Phantom Menace is really fun. It's a fun kids movie in a way that The Hobbit should have been I mean, and was not. The racing scene is actually still holds up. It's fun, yeah. It's, it's paced thrilling. really well in a way that you wouldn't think you could do with a NASCAR race, but it really yeah. is. It's like filming it's, your it's Mario Kart track. It's NASCAR trek. mixed with uh, Grand Prix mixed, or like a... Uh, 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 <laughs> it's that time of the night where yeah. Aaron's thoughts turn to mush. Uh, and uh, Demolition Derby all mixed <laughs> in one. It's a lot of fun when you're a kid. Completely problematic. I do not like the prequels. You don't have to come shout at me. <laughs> Put uh, away your torches and pitchforks. Uh, yes. Uh, that being said, 
That being said, this new trilogy, two out of three movies so far down, I think I like it better than the original. The and I got four, to four, five, and six. I got to see the original as an adult, so I got to appreciate that when I had all of my faculties and could understand good structure and character development. And even still, Force Awakens and Last Jedi, I find to be more Star Warsy, more enjoyable, better films, in my opinion. The the biggest issue with the original trilogies is George Lucas had influence, but had to or had what what was reined back. That's why the the prequel trilogy is as flawed as it is, is because he had a lot more free reign. Um, we forget I, that his wife, not no wife, no more. But his wife was the one who made most of the stuff we really liked about Star Wars because she was his editor and he told she told him what he could and could not do. And George, they're just not going to get this part. You got to cut it. Yeah. If she'd been around, let's just say if she'd been around uh, later in life, uh, Jar Jar Binks would not exist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, the biggest thing is, is I like the original trilogy, 4, 5, and 6, New Hope empire and uh return uh but they're they were never my fandom even when i was a kid like in you know with uh you know our friend john and steven uh friends of the podcast um you know they're much much more into star wars than me um and i I, i've never said oh i'm a huge star wars fan i like star wars i like the mythos i fucking loved lightsabers um probably my favorite part of the whole mythos but I appreciate the the world that they they built, and uh, watching I I I I'm still still to this day I like Force Awakens more than I liked Rogue One. Rogue One was two thirds not good, and one third blind Jedi. One well one third like kind of in a weird over kick ass way. Uh, I hear there's some good scenes. Now that's my thing. I didn't because I'm not like big Star Wars nerd. I didn't see Rogue One. Aaron went. That was before we had Movie Pass when we could afford to go to movies. Yeah. And Aaron went to that one without me. He said, "Nah, nah." Um, there, and there, yeah. So like with Rogue Alan Tudyk, uh, yeah, that was blind cool. Jedi and uh, Darth Vader had uh, tunnel scene. Yeah, like the three things you need to see that movie for. Pretty boom, much. Boom, boom. <laughs> Pretty much. Um. But as Darth Vader says, be careful not to choke on your aspirations. <laughs> what a dad line. This, this movie, like Force Awakens, even though it was basically a rehash of, say, A New Hope and Empire, even, it felt like, yeah, it was retreading it, but it was breathing new life into those It was treads. important. Yeah. Because it was showing that it was not going to be like the past three movies. It was very important at that time that they say, we know how to make a Star Wars film because the last three have been bupkis here. Watch as we show you. We know what you liked about it and we can hit those beats. Yeah. And we're, uh, and that's, the, and it's like Force Awakens. Yeah, there were scenes that I was like, oh, okay, whatever. But I enjoyed most of it. Whereas with Rogue One, I didn't like most of it, but there were some scenes that were really cool. Yeah. I could not stand the the um, the main two characters, 
Both of them are terrible people, and you're supposed to like them even slightly, and neither of them were good. And I like Diego Luna, uh, who plays the captain. I think he's a fantastic actor. I've seen him in his, like in some very smaller roles. Hell, if I'm remembering correctly, I've seen him in one of his first roles. Uh, way, way, way back when. I could, I could be wrong on this, uh, but he... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, one of his first roles was in a movie with John Bon Jovi where he's a vampire hunter. What? Yeah, it's a weird-ass movie, and if I can ever find it, we're going to watch it. That does sound cool. Um, But there is... Is John Bon Jovi the vampire because he's always wearing sunglasses? That's Corey Hart, who always wears sunglasses at night. No, that's John Bon Jovi. He's always no. wearing those stupid glasses. That's That's... Bono, who's always wearing the glasses. John Bon Jovi from Bon Jovi is the feathered hair, uh, uh, good-looking boy. uh, Okay, yeah. I would still watch a movie where Bono's a vampire, though. So, is there one like that? Bono is a vampire. Um, Here's my unpopular opinion that has nothing to do with Star Wars. U2 is super overrated. (laughs) Super overrated super overrated i like that you leading off our discussion of the last jedi with that so in case there's a single person who may agree with you on this point we're gonna destroy them next with our opinions on last jedi yeah i um i liked last jedi i didn't think it was mind-blowingly amazing but i liked it i thought it was uh, a good direction to go to take the story in uh, again, there are some decisions that they made I wasn't crazy about. This casino scenes were unnecessary. They the the way they tried to have it play out, I see, but I don't at the same time. I just felt like they they had to put urgency into it. But then once they put the urgency into it, that was all they did with it. They only put the urgency into it. So, um, I liked Luke to an extent. Um, probably because I liked Mark. I, I like Mark, Mark Hamill's Mark Hamill just in general. Um, I feel like they did some very cool things. Uh, I feel I loved the weird bridge between you know Ray and Kylo Ren, but. Is it the greatest movie ever? No. Did I like it? Yes. Did I like it more than Force Awakens? No. I still like Force Awakens more. Hmm. I, 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 it's not as meant as a diss on Last Jedi, but I, I just, over, overall, I enjoyed Force Awakens more. Even with all the stupid MacGuffins and the the stupid mystery boxes that JJ always puts me through because he knows I love it because I'm a glutton for punishment. Oh, Aaron. Much like our first episode of season one, I must now school you as to why The Last Jedi is a box of awesomeness. I gotta break it down Uh, for you. Really? You liked The Last Jedi more than me? Yeah. Okay. Dude. This is important in the same way that Wonder Woman was important. 
Was that our first episode? Yes, it was. Very first one. When I saw one of them and I said, Aaron, I have to talk about this on a forum right now. And since I don't belong to any forums, you have to help me make a podcast. Throwback, uh, throwback Tuesday. Uh, it is Throwback or Tuesday. Throw, throwback Thursday from when we released this. So here's the deal. You gotta be awake for this one. I know it's late, but you can't fall asleep through this one like you do through a certain portion of our podcast. I won't tell you how many, listener, but it is a certain portion. Last Jedi is super critically important, not just in the canon of Star Wars, but as a film as a whole. It is not a perfect film. I'm not gonna say it can do no wrong, because there are there are no movies like that. Again, casino scenes. There are no movies that is faultless. Um, so let's talk about the casino scene. In the overall plot of the story, you're right. It doesn't mean much. It seems to be a detour. It seems to not have a lot with the true stakes of what's going on up in the sky. Here's the important part, though, and bear with me. You can make it. The important part of the casino scene is that it reveals that going off on your own and headstronging, trying to bring something back to last minute save the day, it's not going to work 99 out of 100 times. In every other universe, you fail. This is not a thing that works out. Whereas I feel in the original trilogy, things just happen to work out for our heroes in a way that was just a little bit too neat. Um, it Han is Solo was frozen in carbonite yes, at the end of one movie. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Give me a minute. Uh, the importance of the casino scene is not perhaps a plot important device, but a thematically important scene. It shows us that this is not a black and white universe. And it shouldn't be. Black and white universes are boring. Good versus evil. White hat, black hat. The importance of that scene shows us that everyone is profiting off this war. This is not a good rebels. The The Empire, sorry, I call the Empire. It's the First Order, but it's the Empire. The Empire is bad, no question about it. But they're not the only ones who want this war to continue. They're not the only ones making a profit off the continuation of this fight. And it's important to show that complexity in a fantasy universe especially. It shows that you have thoughts and complexities and true understanding of what hum- humanity can do to a scenario besides we're in utopia and everyone's perfect and no one's bad, blah, 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 blah. So that's the first thing. Second thing, Last Jedi has been weirdly um, polarizing, as you said. We have the overall positive rating of many a moviegover and movie critic. And yet, on the same, on the other side of that coin, we have a decidedly rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes, which, by all accounts, is built up of a bunch of really tight-fisted fanboys that said, this is not my Star Wars, it's not what I wanted it to be, and therefore I must tank it. And that, it's so weird to see a real-world story happen concurrently with this fantasy story, where people don't want change, they want things to be as they were, and so they make a point to bring down anything that they don't agree with. Um, 
there is something so deliciously ironic about the whole thing and uh we won't spend the entirety of the next three hours discussing that because we could go on forever um there there is a boy who is shown to be force sensitive in the movie not 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 luke's offspring or Leia's great great grandbaby. I guess or... we should say spoilers. I'm I'm not going. I'm not going to pretend that everyone in the world who wanted to see Last Jedi has not seen Last Jedi. They've seen Last Jedi. It's a Star Wars movie. We're going to keep making them and seeing them until the end of our days. I'm not going to pretend that isn't the case. But the idea of there being just a small boy who just uses the Force to just assist in a menial task is so great because it means that we're finally moving away from this dynasty of Skywalker where only Skywalkers get to affect any change in and the see, galaxy. this is one of those points where, like, I, it's not necessarily I disagree with you, but it's like I have to, well, actually, or I have to mansplain or weird. You, what you don't remember. Well, you, at least you'll wake up if you do that, so tell me, what is it? Well, it's, it's not like it has to be just a a Skywalker or a Kenobi or a Solo or any... Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be, like, one of these main people. Because mm-hmm. if you look back at the prequels, there were plenty of people sensitive to the Force. There were many different races and ages and creeds and just... Ev- there was... Uh, hell, I think at one point, there was a Wookiee who was sensitive to the Force. Like, and, and the thing is, too... That's why there are different levels of Padawans and apprentices, or, or sorry, of masters and stuff like that. There are there are there's reasons why only certain Jedi masters who, when they turn into Force ghosts, can actually still, you know, communicate with the living because they have they are more sensitive to the Force. They are stronger in the ways of the Force. So, but all those that, spe- all those Force sensitive kids. They're all being trained, aren't they? They're all sitting up cushy in Jedi Temple training. Yes, but they had to be Master they had to be Yoda. tested and shown that they were even sensitive sensitive to the and force. And the story's anyways. not about them. The story's about Anakin. But, story's but about another like, Skywalker. But you're like surprised that they're they're doing that at all. It's like that's not a unique concept. That's not original concept. It's been around for a long time. Yes, but I'd like to perhaps conceive of a world where the prequels don't exist. If they do, they only further prove my that's, point right. And that's what they kind of played on with Empire, it, like with you know, Yoda uh, saying that, like, you know, well, I'm looking for a Master Yoda. Here he is not. Take you to him. I will. You know, like, and, you know, and then it's like, oh, he actually is Master Yoda. Oh, this little green thing is a Jedi Master? What? Like, that, yeah, they play on that a little bit. He's not even human or human-esque. He's this little furry green alien. But then you realize even the um, uh, the Sith were not all humanistic or humanoid. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think Darth Bane was a, a very specific race, um, if I'm not mistaken. But like, My point is that the original trilogy was about the story of a nobody who became a somebody. Uh, the point of Luke Skywalker isn't that he had, came from this great genealogy, which Lucas pulled out of the second movie from the crack of his butt. Like, oh, wait, they're related now. Um, 30-year-old spoilers. Luke, you mean Luke with Leia? Yeah. 
Um, my my not I, Luke with the Vader. Not Luke with the Vader. No, he knew that one. He was like, oh, by the way, they're brother and sister now because Han Solo was a more marketable character, so he gets the girl. The point is that the original trilogy was not about a dynasty. It was about this one boy from nothing who became part of something greater, not because he even knew his father was alive or a part of this world, but because of his sensitivity and because of his desire to do good. That is what the prequels sorely missed. In addition to being fanfic about the rise of Darth Vader, it makes it more about this one family lineage where all things must happen. That's why I appreciate Last Jedi, because Rian Johnson saw two years of hard thought theories by fanboys and said, fuck your theories. I don't give two shits about whether you think Rey is Luke's grandniece. It's, she is nobody. She is nothing. And she will be amazing because of who she is, not because of who her parents were. I, I don't care that her parents are not someone specifically. That she's not a Kenobi or a Skywalker or a Solo or anything like that. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with her being, uh, you know, Pancake Face's kids or, um, you know, a, a, a goddamn um, Calrissian. You know, I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with how they say it. Oh, oh say it. Uh, just say it. Uh, they were junkers and, and they left and they traded me for money for booze and this and that. And it's like that. I didn't like that reveal. I thought that was like a complete, like, like a complete middle finger to the, the fanboys and the, the theorists. I don't want my movies to be made for fanboys. I want my movies to be made by people who understand both the lore of what they're creating and have a desire to give a unique perspective. That's why Peter Jackson, Lord of the Ring, does it for me. Because if you try to literally fanboy interpret Tolkien, the movie would be unwatchable. It'd well, be crap. <laughs> and it's like with, um, uh, uh, if you want a movie that's made for the fanboys, look no further than Boondock Saints 2, All Saints Day. That movie was made for the fans. It wasn't made for anybody else. It was made for the fan, the diehard fans of number one. Because that movie is all about referencing the first one. And there are other examples, but that's the one I can think of the easiest. Is because it's a good movie, but I can easily understand why people don't... Or well, I like it a lot, rather. And I can easily understand why other people don't like it. Yeah. So, um... You know, that's the problem is, is like, I want the theories and the fanboys to be listened to, but I, it, it's not a big deal if they're not. Mm-hmm. I, there, there are decisions that Rian Johnson made I don't agree with, like with, and it, it's some of the, the more MacGuffin mystery box area stuff, so. Now we have to, we really have to be careful here because... That's not his fault. It's solely J.J. Abrams' fault. Because Rion had to play with the cards he was dealt. He didn't get a chance. Exactly. He has the unenviable task of making the second movie in a trilogy. He looked at the five-card stud hand he had, and he's like, okay, I've got good characters, I've got good story development, but, yeah, I'm going to throw everything else away. Throw the MacGuffins out. I don't give two shits who Snoke was. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, they're, like... I, I would have I would be more okay with the whole stuff with Ray's parents if Snoke was ever fucking explained what he where he came from, like 
like what he who he actually is because they don't fucking explain it period the emperor never gets explained either again pretend a world where the prequels the, don't exist yeah. the pre he doesn't even show up to like the third movie in person and then he just spouts his one-liners in the corner look outside this window Some, all of your friends some, are dying something something dark side something something complete um i really would uh like to invite you all to <laughs> watch a video called uh the toxic masculinity of jedi it just oh. premiered today, so it's okay if you haven't seen it yet. There were other, there were female Jedi. Again, you're missing the point. I love how when Rey. I say, Aaron, when I say toxic masculinity, I love that the first thing you think of is women. Toxic masculinity has to do with the ideals of masculinity and how to be a true man. It has nothing to do with the female presence at all. Oh. But I really appreciate that that was the very first thing you thought of. Sorry. You thought that I was attacking you for not including women in the trilogy, and I'm like. No, that's not what I'm saying. I mean, it's like, I mean, hell, even before the prequels, Leia was a uh, was sensitive to the Force. Yes, if we're going to talk about women in the uh, trilogy, we got to talk about Leia because I really Rest enjoy... Peace, Carrie. I enjoy her arc so much in this. They chose not to change it. Except she died. for that one part. She, she, she passed away after filming had completed for The Last Jedi, and they had the chance to change it up and be like, we could end her arc sooner in this movie and have her die on screen. And Rian Johnson said, no, her arc is important. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad that they kept it that way. It, it would feel, I, I think you would be able to feel the, the miss, the, the presence missing. I just don't like what they did with that one scene. See, you, you're thinking it's like, I'm, I'm disagreeing with the thematics, the, the importance of it. And truth be told, I'm not. I appreciate all that. I actually appreciate how they're progressing the, the Jedi mythos and moving along. I just don't like specific choices. You know what I mean? Like with what, with that one scene with Leia and, uh, having it uh, makes total sense that as one of the strongest force users in the galaxy she could survive the vacuum of space not she's not one mind. of the strongest ones though. she is the, that's the problem she is though and that's why a, she's no more a strong jedi user or i didn't say jedi I, sorry sorry i said jedi i'm a <laughs> strong force user as freaking rose is a fucking pilot Let's, that came out of fucking nowhere, and you know it. Oh, I don't care two shits if we didn't know Rose was a pilot. That's not important to the themes of the story. No, what's always struck me as so strange is that we have literally one female character in the entire Ridge Tridge who... Of, of five. Of five that you can possibly name, and... Then she does continue to show up, because people really, really like her, show up in the next trilogy, and... In the original trilogy, they talk about how important it is that Leia could be turned to the dark side, that Leia is as strong as Luke, that there is another Skywalker. In this whole family, why is it that Luke could be the only one who's the most powerful Jedi and not Leia? Besides the fact that she is a woman. Oh, that's not because of that. That's I, what that's... I'm saying. So there really is no difference in the two of them. There, From my understanding, and it, it, this is limited... It's not because she is a woman that she is not as strong of a force user. It's literally because of the sensitivity to the force. It's like, like 
two people are allergic to cats, but one person literally can't be around a cat in like in the presence of a cat or they will break out and start sneezing whereas the other person can be around the cat but can't touch it can be around the uh the, the litter or the food or something like that or they start to yeah. you know feel drowsy where so it's kind of like one of those things like so they're Luke allergic is to midichlorians not allergic <laughs> i think everyone's allergic to so, midichlorians but. so by your logic then we have to compare the two we have one character who survives an explosion in the vacuum of space before getting back to safety and another character who astral projects himself across again, a galaxy I, again that astral projects himself across a galaxy and then dies because of that which is the greater use of the force i would say it's the one that keeps your ass alive <laughs> And again, this isn't a Leia has to be stronger than Luke. It's it's rubbish to think that she doesn't have as much attuneness to the Force as her brother does. I think that she is stronger with the Force than a lot of other people who are sensitive to the, to the Force. I don't think she's where she can fucking Mary Poppins her way back through the goddamn vacuum of space. That is what... Like, do something else... Where, like, she's, it's, she's not even the vacuum of space, where she's literally sucked out of the goddamn spaceship. Like, where, like, one of the windows breaks or something like that, and instead of getting sucked in to, you know, the goddamn inky blackness, she's able to kind of push something in the way where, like, like, not even, like, a full thing where she just kind of, like, she pushes it a little bit and it blocks the hole, or she's able to kind of project herself a little bit, like... Have it a little bit more based, in, and I'm doing air finger quotes for this, reality. Okay, the minute Luke can actually project himself onto a planet a galaxy away is the minute that, of Not, course, Leia can go through I, space. Again, again, with throwing the air quotes of reality, look at the Force, the, the force Ghosts. That's a form of astral projection. Okay, the Force Ghost, in, it's it's all about natural progression. These are all things that as you progress in your lifetime and in the Force that you'd be able to do. In this one, Yoda can call down lightning. Yes. And he's a ghost. Okay, <laughs> so here's here's the thing with that, with, with the astral projection across the galaxy, with calling the lightning as a ghost. That's fucking brand new. That's great. That's, Surviving that's, the vacuum of space is brand new. We've never seen a Jedi survive the vacuum of space. That's the problem. That's too far. Like, could, these other things could easily be, uh, could be seen done in the progression of the force and how we perceive it can be used. That is too far ahead in that direction. I would rather go too far every time than have a third Death Star. <sighs> that I agree with. So, let's wrap it up because we are way over time as is. And, and Oh, there's no chance we're wrapping up. No, this has just begun. Oh, God, no. We are done. No, we are just getting into this. <laughs> we are done. Oh, then you have to give me ten minutes. No, we're done. <laughs> you have to give me something. I didn't even get to what I wanted to talk about. How the fuck did you not get to what you wanted to talk about? It's a very complex movie. If you really uh, see, I didn't. I really didn't think it was going to take this long. We're I, we're wrapping up, sweetie. Yeah. You never let me have any fun. I let you have all the fun. I have let you have fun all the time. All right. Okay. I will wrap up by tying in something I brought up before, and I'll try to keep it brief. 
video just came out about the toxic masculinity of the Jedi. As Aaron uh, points out, it is not about whether women are Sorry, presented. Sorry, I, 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 I hopped on that bait way too quickly. <laughs> the idea of toxic masculinity is how incorrect views about how men should behave leads to serious detriment, not just to themselves, but to the people around them. The idea that you must repress your emotions, bury them down, uh, strength comes through not showing weakness, um, or physical prowess. You can't do that. It's not manly. Exactly. Uh, man up literally means to tuck your emotions back in your pocket because we don't want to see them. So the idea of the Jedi Order is they're supposed to be an emotionless, detached monkhood. They are supposed to have a compassionate, bird's eye view of the world around them. Certain Do good. sects of the Jedi, yes. Okay, again, I'm not a fanboy as far as that. I only know what I've seen with the movies, so there, forgive there, me. There are actually more than just two classifications of Jedi. It go, it goes deeper than that. Like there are some people who are under the the thought that there are three classifications. Some are actually under the impression there's like closer to five. Um, you know, with the light side being far to the left and the dark side being far to the right. So I'm speaking specifically about the Jedi as we have seen in the prequels and in the Ridge Tridge and here. Then then you probably have what's closer to a three kind of three tiered system. You have your Yodas who must detach from feelings and stuff like that. And then you have what's called the gray Jedis, mm-hmm. the kind of in between. Actually, Qui-Gon Jinn is one of the best examples of a gray Jedi. Okay. Um, not necessarily like detached from his emotions, but is able to control them enough. So the advice that Anakin receives in the prequels and Luke does in the original Tridge is that his emotions will lead to the dark side. Yoda explicitly tells him this often in the prequels, that your fear of losing your mother, of losing your wife, of losing your unborn child are what is going to lead you to the dark side. The problem with that is that when you break that down, that means that George Lucas has intentionally chosen to frame emotions as a gateway to the dark side, as in committed relationships, Loving your mother, <laughs> literally being concerned about someone's safety, all are paths to the dark side. As like a seven-year-old boy, he tells them this. And it's literally because Anakin can't deal with his emotions that he turns to the dark side. Not because he gave in to them. He was never given any outlet to share his emotions. And so when his mother dies, he has no way to handle his grief and says goes on a killing rampage. He has no idea how to handle the emotions of losing his wife and unborn child, and so he kills everyone else in the entire world in an attempt to keep her safe. The Jedi have literally caused the very thing that they didn't want to happen by telling him to let go of everything he fears to lose. Whereas the dark side, it's more like, find the anger, find the wrath, find the rage, and use that as your fuel. Instead of finding the happiness and the joy and the rage and like using all of that kind of like um magneto in um first class is like find that fine line between rage and uh, ecstasy serenity serenity um luke near ridge tridge he's being trained by yoda who tells him 
that if he truly believes in what Leia and Han are fighting for, he will let them die because he has to complete his training. It is only when Luke diverts from the traditional Jedi way of emotional detachment and actually goes to believe his father may have some good in him, goes to save his friends, that he actually ends up winning the day. He does not fall into the Jedi path of stunted emotional growth and instead lets his emotions help and fuel him in a very Qui-Gon way, if you will. Um, the video explains it a lot better, but I think the important part is that this new trilogy never feels like it's giving you something that is problematic. If it is problematic, it's in a good way. Um, it's we, challenging. Yeah. We have in The Je uh, Last Jedi a really challenging viewpoint of Luke Skywalker, a totally believable character development, honestly, and a true breakdown of how one moment of weakness can ruin everything. Weakness not in emotional vulnerability but weakness in um one's, yeah one's own thought that they are in complete control of this that they know everything and think that they know it all and then that leads to downfall we have an emotionally um complex villain in kylo ren and i do agree with you if he's going to be the main villain in this next movie he's got to step up his game but That's, that was uh, john's uh, thought on that one but the idea that ray um immediately discovers that she must confront the darkness, not hide from it as Luke has, is to her credit more adept in the Force than any other Jedi we've seen beforehand with no training whatsoever is able to bamboozle a Daniel Craig stormtrooper into leaving her unchained and alone in the very I'm first movie. Sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure that she's one of the more sensitive people that we've seen since even Luke and Anakin. And I think what happens is that instead of trying to defeat the dark side she is going to learn how to control it as well as the light she's going to be what's age what's probably going to be the true gray jedi be the true uh understanding of the path mm -hmm. so when you saw the the symbol and the the jedi temple at the bottom how it's showing both sides it's like you must understand your darkness and accept it to be able to control the light yeah, because clearly all this hmm. hasn't... Dark and light on uh, equal footing and, you know, almost like working together. Hmm, what does that remind me of? Oh, uh, not this podcast. Absolutely not. Oh, no, I was talking about my tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my, uh, my Taoist symbol, yin-yang, so... Mm -hmm. um, I think Yoda sums it up best uh, in this movie is there comes a time when we have to let go of the past and entrust a new generation to carry us forward into something better than we could possibly have imagined. Yeah, the, the, the next generation, you know, boldly going where no man has gone before. A true Star Wars quote, if ever there was one. <laughs> I really think... Live long and prosper, Gandalf. Gandalf. I really think that this movie is worth seeing. I think it's worth seeing now. I think it's worth its place in this new trilogy. I did not envy... Rian Johnson's position. It is never a safe, bettable, or enviable position to make the second movie in a trilogy, because no one cares yeah. about that movie. And yet somehow, Two Towers and Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite movies. Oh god, uh, that's my least favorite of all three of them. <laughs> um, and in this one, The Last Jedi is really good. I am very concerned that J.J. is coming back to direct the third one, because he may 
retcon a lot of things that I really want to see continue. That things that we would have never seen. We would have never seen that mirror scene from J.J. Abrams. It's true. It's, it was very visually striking, too. We would have never seen a, an emotionally confused and vulnerable Luke Skywalker. Or the, or the same, uh, that that adjective chunk, if you will, um, for uh, Kylo. Exactly. Um, we have the ending of A Force Awakens, this beautiful, sweeping, circular shot of Rey about to hand the lightsaber back to Luke Skywalker, who we've all wanted to see all this time. And then Last Jedi opens in the exact same spot, and he takes it, and he chucks it behind him off the island. And that is something that a Star Wars movie would do. Yeah, Rian Johnson's interpretation of the characters and the humor that it comes with them is f- phenomenal. Just mm-hmm. absolutely uh, astronomically funny. So, final thought. Final thoughts. Um, Definitely see it. Don't believe the Tumblr fanboys who have put together petitions saying that this is the movie that should be removed from canon because we lived with the goddamn prequels. You will shut your whore mouths. Uh, and score? Uh, Four out of five. Another really good movie. Uh, final thoughts. Porgs were funny. Um, yeah. They, they weren't Ewoks. They weren't they Gungans weren't. or Jar Jar. Uh, they were a little annoying, but at the same time, they were cute. But they were the, marketable. The, but I don't know why the crystal foxes weren't the true. Like that's the animal everyone should be focusing on. I get that, but they actually helped the, the rebels out. <laughs> yes, to an extent, yes. Uh, but the poor. I like the backstory for the porgs. That's what I like about them. So, what is the backstory for the porgs, Aaron? The backstory for the porgs is where they were filming on uh, this island uh, for the Last Jedi. They uh, they had a problem with the indigenous bird called the puffin, which if you were a child in the 80s and 90s, there's, there was the puffin publishing. And they uh, actually... Um, couldn't get rid of them. Couldn't get rid of them, so they just decided instead, you know what, they said, you know what, screw it, we'll just make them into characters, and they created the porgs. I think that's so fun. I like that a lot. So. That is really fun. Um... It's a good movie. It should not be taken out of the canon, even if I don't agree with half of the choices. It's okay not to agree with every choice made in a movie and still like the movie. I will say, Aaron's being remarkably blasé because when we finished watching this movie, you were in tears and I could see indentations on your seat arms where you gripped it because you thought things were going to keep going bad and then they got worse it's like <laughs> you were completely emotionally invested in this movie to a point where your now reaction is a little uh, surprising to me actually well and it, it they had a tendency of almost like building up to something and then keep going which is nice because you get the story to continue but like there's like uh, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that deep breath so I can that I can take I'm waiting for the deep breath that I could take I'm waiting for the deep breath I could take Holy shit, this is still going on, so... Oh, it was like Mad Max Fury Road. It was all inclined. Well, yeah, especially near the end. It was... It was hard to catch your breath. But, um... My my, my final thought is the uh, light speed scene. How it was shot. How it was uh, conceptualized. 
how it was executed just was awesome. It's probably my favorite, like, favorite five, six seconds of the entire movie. Uh, just how beautiful and devastating it is at the same time. So It was epic. Um, exactly. So, with, the, with that being said, I'm going to give it a 3.5. All right, then I'm going to jump mine up to a 4.5 to make it an 8 out of 10, because I think it deserves to be an 8 out of 10. Okay. <laughs> uh, I do uh, get the feeling that at some point during the second season, we should have a movies that Elizabeth found supremely influential to the course of human history and Aaron thought were just okay. <laughs> I feel like that list is going to encompass a lot, and then we'll flip it, and Aaron would pick... No movie. <laughs> oh no! I, they're, 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 I'm sure there are plenty of movies like that. So, but uh, we definitely went way over time. And I knew it was going to happen. You were so sure we'd get through four movies in a I, tiny well, hour. Yeah, and I thought we could. And then you went so freaking in depth into Star. I wouldn't have said we were going to do it if I knew it was going to go this in depth. I could have told you that. You didn't though. That's I know. The thing. So. Well, maybe we'll do our own little Star Wars episode. Maybe our viewers will get equally mad about toxic masculinity and we'll break it down for well, you all. Well, how about this? We, we'll leave it up to the our Yes. Fans. Do you want to hear what we think about the entire Star Wars trilogy as a whole? Uh, do you want our... Franchise. Do you want to, do you want to rail at Elizabeth for not knowing the names of the background characters in the Gungan Inn? Let me know. The, you know the cantina? No, no. The Gungan Inn that's in scene 34 slash B of uh, movie 6, also known as movie 3, in the canon. You know, you want to like point your glasses up at me and give me all this mumbo jumbo that has nothing to do with actual anything sure you can tell me that um if you've seen any of these movies uh please tell us what you thought if you've seen uh especially like if you've seen the disaster artist or the big sick we want to hear your thoughts um and if you want to hear us talk more about star wars let us know we might do a special episode and um, we do have another kind of fun one coming up yes because uh, we saw even more movies than this but we decided wisely i now think we realized to yeah. split those up into another episode compare yeah. contrast yeah i'm looking forward to this one so me too all right um but i think we need to wrap it up are you sure we can go for another oh well nope we made it to two hours i can rest easy yeah people are gonna be complaining about the the length of time so dude if you want timestamps, i will give you timestamps. if you just want to listen to the segment where we talk about this one specific movie sure i'll give it to you but or i think stuff at the beginning i think we're brilliant beginning to end no questions asked so well uh until <laughs> our next week She's been Elizabeth. He's been Aaron. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea.